welcome to today's roundtable, uh, the Big Ideas from the Leadership Summit. I'm Brittany, the editor of Community Rec Magazine. I'll be guiding our discussion today. Um, so in our virtual session, it is sponsored by our friends at Bell Excel. Thank you guys. Um, some of our attendees from this year's Community Rec Leadership Summit are gonna highlight the big ideas and top takeaways discussed during the event. So these topics are gonna cover top revenue producing ideas, um, ensuring fair representation and staffing structures, supporting staff who work with youth and aiding in the mental, the youth mental health crisis, um, engaging all areas of an organization in fundraising, and of course the future of community recreation and anticipating new opportunities. <laughs> so I'm gonna go ahead and introduce our panel today as you see them. Uh, we have Sabrina Smeltz, she's the CEO of the Wakeman Boys and Girls Club. Anthony Walters, the president and CEO at the YMCA of Southampton Roads. We have Mike Brown, the president and CEO of the YMCA of Metropolitan Fort Worth. We got Jack Teal, he's the director at the Cottonwood Parks and Recreation. And we have Gary Bernstein, he's the CEO of the Jewish Community Alliance of Northeastern Pennsylvania. <laughs> got a lot of titles there. <laughs> All right. So um, I want to first kick it off so you can just hear from our panel. Um, I want to talk about networking because, of course, that's uh, what we just did at the summit. So as a leader, I want to see just how important these networking events are to you and what your goal is when you walk away from these. Um, so, Gary, I'm going to start with you. Well, thank you. Brittany, it's great being here and uh, just want to let people know the ones who weren't at the uh, summit in Carlsbad, you missed a, an unbelievably great time. Uh, I think the, the, the biggest value for me, uh, I, I talked to a lot of my colleagues who, who expressed the same thing, is that the, when you get the JCCs and the YMCAs and the Boys and Girls Clubs and the community rec uh, agencies in the same room together, Wow, what a, what a powerful combination of, of, of leadership, of ideas. And I think the biggest takeaway was, was having so much of a diverse crowd there. Um, it's uh, just, just so, so, so valuable. Yeah, um, I'm gonna go around my screen as I see everyone. All right, Jack, what about you? Yeah, uh, good afternoon, everybody. Um, Thank you, BellXL, for sponsoring this and allowing us to get out here in front of everybody and help discuss our experience at the recreation or the community rec summit. So as Gary talked about, I think when you talk about networking, you're really talking about shared resources. And it's not always just down to your dollars and cents, but it's knowledge and ability. Um, and whether we're solving a problem that's unique to me or a problem that reaches all of us at all levels, whether you're a JCC, a YMCA, a Boys and Girls Club, Municipal Recreation, a little bit different in how we operate, but all of our missions are the same and all of our purposes are the same. So when you're in a room with all of these leaders who have those shared experiences that you can pull from, um, I can connect with everybody and say, hey, have you experienced this and how did you handle it? So I think networking is, is a key uh, to making sure that we're doing things in the best way we can with the most information we have um, and helping people and moving our purpose forward. Yeah. Yeah, I'm going to move on over to Mike. Hey, everyone. Uh, I ditto uh, what has been said. I will say that I've been to conferences for a long time, like the rest of us have. 
this by far was probably one of the best I've ever been to. And the reason for me is the relationships, the ability to be in a room and actually meet and sit and talk with 40 other leaders across the country. And you don't get to do that in most conferences. Uh, you're just shoveling, you know, back and forth to different workshops. Uh, this was very intimate and very much a learning opportunity for all of us. I think that uh, I think only 50 are coming next year uh, or can. That's the limit. And I think uh, it's probably something that I, I will try to come to as much as, as possible. Thanks, Mike. Um, Anthony, we hear from you. Yeah, Mike, Mike already shared. So good to be here. Good to be with you. And thank you for the invitation. So Mike just gave that little, hey, only 50. So so Brittany, save my spot. Don't, don't, don't give away my spot here. <laughs> Let me just go ahead and put the plug in. I but, I, but, I, <laughs> but I do want to amplify the, you know, the sort of in and out of organizations piece. So uh, to Gary's earlier point, uh, I think you've got, you know, whether it's JCC or Parks and Rec and the Y, absolutely an advantage there. And then, then inside of the Y, you know, I think Mike and I met for the first time or, or met again um, and got more intimate in terms of our conversation at the, the Community Rec Conference. So um, at that point, we had some, some deeper dialogue about our similarities, uh, some of our differences. I just think it created that intimate environment for us to actually have some conversation. That doesn't typically happen uh, at some of our larger conferences. So that was a plus. But then beyond that, there's some different size YMCAs um, there too for us to have some varied dialogue. So the differences between those sizes also helps us. So that, that's one piece to it. The other piece is the style and approach. So the style and approach of the dialogue and kind of what, what the offerings are, um, you kind of hear those different ideas and you go, all right, cool. Uh, which takes me to my final point about you get, get an opportunity to, to reimagine um, how you might deliver on some of the programs and services that you have out there from a business standpoint. So those would be my sort of three uh, pieces and advantages to, to networking out there with you. Yeah, and last but not least, Sabrina from your tropical <laughs> oasis. <laughs> I'm not in a tropical, I'm in Connecticut, I swear. Um, you know, I think I would echo a lot of that. I think for me, having worked in multiple, um, so I am a former YMCA employee and now being in the Boys and Girls Club world, it was really nice to be able to bridge that gap um, with community leaders, but then also bring others in. And I think, you know, at some point, all of us as leaders of the organizations that we serve, we're looking at how we take, I'm going to say, calculated risks, right? And so as we're trying to be innovative and as we're trying to move forward, our organizations being ahead of um, trends and things of that nature and, and to be prepared, I think this is such an, a, an environment for us to share across community organizations where it may work really well for one in some community and it may not in others. And we, you know, you see that in the YMCA world, you see that in the boys and girls club world that I'm in now in, in the, in, in the JCC and community rec world, but being able to bring everyone together to have those conversations in a different way. Um, I think, again, I don't think I've ever sat in a, in a room with, with execs who are like-minded from another organization besides a YMCA or a Boys and Girls Club. And so now we've just added other parts to that. And that was hugely impactful for me. 
um, as a as a professional, but also then thinking about how am I going back into my community engage and engaging other community organizations that I may not have thought of in, in the in the past. Thank you all. That's really great to hear. I'm so glad that this was helpful. So um, with that, I do want to go ahead and jump into our topics um, so that we can share some of these really great takeaways. Um, with our folks who weren't able to join us. Um, so naturally, we're going to start with our first one was reimagining revenue. Um, and forgive me, I brought some notes because this was a lot to remember. So if you see me reading, that's why. Um, but yeah, so we started out, um, so reimagining revenue. So some of those things that I pulled from the conversation, it was a focus on the interconnectivity of impact, staffing, business costs, philanthropy, and community engagement. Um, so a big part of the report outs was sharing the top revenue producing opportunities. Um, so I just wanted to see if you could each go around and share um, some of the ideas that stuck out to you most. Um, and let's start with Jack. Yeah, thanks, Brittany. Um, so one of the things that really resonated with me that I came back and we tried to implement um, within our Parks and Recreation Department is there was a lot of discussion about automating processes. So that way, the interactions you have are direct and meaningful. Uh, when you have to have those inter interactions over the small things, the, the purchasing a day pass or items like that, maybe those aren't the meaningful and the impactful interactions you can have with the public. So the more of those items you can automate, the putting your memberships online, making class registrations online, all those different things that you can do in that sense frees you up to have those meaningful interactions with, with your customers. So you get to go and interact with them in the spaces that are meaningful to them and help enhance their experience within the program, within your facilities. And that helps create return uh, customers. And then also grows that base by the experiences that are built. One of the things that I thought um, was a really unique way of saying something, and I think it might've been one of our moderators, uh, they said, we don't build buildings, we build trust. And I think when you can build that trust and you can share that with your user base, that will only continue to grow. So I think automating those things and allowing yourself to have those interactions will help drive your revenue. Hmm. Yeah. Um, Anthony, did you want to go next on your thoughts? Oh, ha happy to. Um, there's two things that um, well, sort of stuck out for, uh, for me and the first one, we we sort of, I wouldn't say started, but we uh, came out of the box with in Southampton Roads. Um, and then we heard it a, a couple of times. So we feel like we're on the right track here. So we um, launched 24-hour access in terms of membership. And um, what I can say about it, having had like almost a year and some change, year and a half now under our belt, is it, the advantages are around retention. Um, so it will keep some of your members a little bit more happy around the bottleneck that might occur on the front end or the back end of the opening and closing of your facility. Um, secondly, it may unlock new demographics. So if you have some uh, members of your community that work in an hour that may not be considered traditional, it may help with um, them identifying your why as a place that they want to sort of see as viable for them. And then finally, New units and sales, we celebrated maybe a month or so ago, month and a half, 10,000 uh, units uh, to our association since we started that launch. We have an 18 of our 22 locations, and uh, it has uh, been, been you know, quasi-successful for us. So 
Uh, again, retention, new demographics, and certainly sales from that standpoint with uh, really a nominal investment in the grand scheme of things. So um, something that I heard resonate and repeated throughout uh, our table time uh, during that during those hours. Uh, and then secondly, childcare. The direction of um, our country right now is in childcare. It is a significantly trending um, area of revenue generation. And it is starting to close the gap on what we're doing in membership. And it creates great collaborative opportunities with um, our government, uh, as well as philanthropic opportunities there as well. So childcare, it's a need. It's a pent up demand, big time waiting list. When I talk to some of our um, citizens and colleagues, um, and then obviously if we can reimagine our, our buildings to accommodate that uh, and get the necessary expertise in, in place, it, it'll create significant revenue for our wives. We are already, already in that business. How do we um, really enhance our buildings, facilities uh, that we have as assets to accommodate uh, that trending revenue line. Yeah. Um, Sabrina, what about you? Yeah, so d different business model, right, for a Boys and Girls Club. And so interestingly, when we talk about revenue, a lot of our, most of our revenue comes from fundraising. And so a Anthony touched on this a little bit. It's how are we engaging our, our state in our local government, as well as our, um, our, you know, federal side and other foundations. So I think sort of spitballing a lot of those ideas have been really exciting, but then also taking um, some of the, I would say your work smarter, not harder conversations around, okay, if we're not generating revenue, so membership for us doesn't drive revenue, right? That's like our lowest part of our, of our book of business, but how are we retaining um, and keeping our families and our, and our youth in, in, engaged are the same kind of conversations that you would have at any other community organization. So I think looking at being innovative to be resourceful, economical, work smarter, not harder have been uh, those priorities that I took away from this. Like, what can I switch from a, I'm going to say my old Y hat to a boys and girls club hat that's still similar um, and then also how are we accessing revenue and what is really the definition of revenue? So fundraising is also revenue in, in, in a lot of different ways. And so building relationships, um, someone talked about it at, you know, we're building relationships at the speed of trust. That's a, not a necessarily measurable ROI, but really impactful on the other end. Hmm. Yeah. Um, Mike, let's get your thoughts. A lot of good has been said. I, I will tell you that this was, uh, I mean, all these topics were exciting, but reimagining, I think, is the key word here. Um, all of us have programs and models that have been in play for years. And I looked at reimagining as not necessarily trying to create something different, but looking at what we have that's already producing and being willing to completely change that model. You know, yes, I work for the why, but it, you know, it, do we need membership? Uh, do we have to run it the way that we do? Uh, can we customize something that, you know, beautifully enters into the digital transformation of our world? Uh, do we have to do it the way it was set out 20 years ago? Does childcare have to just be childcare? Can it be achievement? 
uh, and access to education. Uh, and so it just, um, for me, you know, I, I looked at that and the idea that change is so hard for people that we get stuck in a model and a rut um, that we may have high producing programs and services right now that we're not expanding or tapping into that produce uh, more opportunities. I will highlight that the one uh, is philanthropy. Um, and it's, it's, it, it, there is such an opportunity to change the entire revenue model, but we have to look at philanthropy so much differently than we currently do. It's not just an annual campaign. Uh, I believe in a comprehensive model that tells your community every possible opportunity that there is to be involved and finding ways to connect people to the mission, to the cause, uh, and to really see the future of our organization as 30 to 40% philanthropy and not 60 to 80% membership. That's gonna give us the ability to create change and social enterprise and partnership and collaborations that go way beyond a building that for 30 years I've, I've sat in. Uh, so I was really excited about this topic because it really challenged me to think, how are we gonna do it? How are we gonna be that change for our world, not just for Fort Worth. Mike, I just want to uh, jump in because uh, it made me think of like conversations we had at the at the summit too. We are like I think of the YMCA. Like you, you talk about membership and retention and all that stuff. Like so, the you were talking about how systems already work, right? That work is how you are also prospecting fundraisers and donors and all of that stuff. So the 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 engine's already there, right? Like, and so it's, again, how are we reimagining stuff we already know how to do? It's just new language. And that's like, I get all excited when we talk about this as we're back yeah. together again, because it's like, yeah, that's the stuff. Like, it's not rocket science, but it's just how we package it, right? Or just how we tell our story in a different way. Um, but anyway, sorry to jump in on your court. Uh, <laughs> it's just, it's really cool to think about like, uh, we, we are so adapt in all of our organizations, we adapt to an old model and try to fit a square peg in a round hole. Yeah. And if we want to be 40% philanthropy, then may, do we need a membership director or do we need philanthropists, <laughs> folks that are responsible for engaging with that member? And you know, less than 10% of members are actually contributing, right? And so yeah. there must be a problem there. <laughs> Uh, and so there is yeah. an opportunity to take an existing model and change it so that we can stop talking about 20,000 members and start talking about the engagement and the opportunity to serve a community. That's and what those relate. Yeah. Me. Yeah. It's those relationships. Yes. Yep. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, Gary, do you want to wrap us up on this topic? Uh, yes, of course. Um, you know, as a CEO, I think our, our jobs should be moving more away from the operation and more into fundraising and into development. I would say that my my role here is probably 90, 90 or more percent in terms of generating revenues for our agency. So you talk about annual giving. And of course, we all have the galas and the auctions and the raffles and the golf outings, and they're all good. But, you know, best practice dictates that the face-to-face -face, uh, interactions, Jack talked about meaningful interactions. Mike talked about, you know, this, the same type of uh, uh, meaningful uh, um, uh, relationships that you develop. 
you know, it's the face to face. I mean, uh, you know, it's 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 a proven fact that 70 to 80 percent of people who give are the give because they've been asked face to face. So, um, you know, you, you talk about the, that comprehensive type of campaign, the capital giving, the plan giving, the annual giving, you know, we can't just be looking at one. We have to look at all three and wrap that into a nice package. And the last thing I would say, uh, you know, we all remember that ice water, uh, ice bucket challenge that the ALS organization did uh, a few years back. And that that was a, a million, a multi-million dollar fundraiser for the ALS Foundation. But, you know, we, we refer to that as more of a transactional type of fundraiser. But where we have to keep moving towards is that transformational type of fundraiser where you develop, you build, you develop, you steward those type of major givers into your organization. That's where you build trust. That's where you have those meaningful interactions. And I think that's where the future of our organizations are. Yeah, Anthony, did you have another comment to add on this topic? Yeah, just a, just a very, very quick one because part of the reason why I wanted to leave philanthropy out is because I knew that Mike would land that one. <laughs> Um, I would have been totally disappointed if he didn't say anything about that, because that is where I, I knew he was passionate about that one. I just want to add a word to um, to reimagine uh, related to all this, which is reimagine and remind, because I think when we were in this pandemic, um, what happened was we reminded people who we really were, all the organizations, Parks and Recs, JCC, Boys and Girls Club. Um, and the why we reminded the the communities what we were actually in position uh, to do, and so part of that is to raise resources to reinvest back into the community. Uh, that's that's all it was, and so it does have to be our um, top priority. It has to be the number one thing that we do um, over and over again. So it is reimagine, it's remind, so we can reinvest. Yeah, and I know that this is a really big topic. So we have one more thing. So we got a question from the audience. So I was going to see if you all wouldn't mind to answer it. Um, so it's from David Sorkin, who was actually at the event with us. So hello, David. <laughs> um, so David uh, had a question. So he wanted to know about or the types and scope of government grants that agencies are receiving. Does anybody want to? I would take that on. Okay. Well, hi, David. David's my good buddy. Uh, in fact, I would have to say that David and I are working on a collaborative article for the next uh, issue of uh, Community Rec Magazine. And that's exactly the topic that we're addressing is the, the issue of, of, of federal state grants. Uh, we here in Northeastern Pennsylvania are doing a um, renovation of our campsite and we received over $2 million worth of uh, um, RACB funds. It's a, uh, it's a state, state grant uh, that, that we applied for. Um, last week, in fact, I met with uh, Congressman Matt Cartwright, one of our US congressmen, talking specifically about these community project funding grants. It used to be called earmarks. They don't like that word anymore. The community project funding grants and the, import, the importance of getting these type of funding, um, uh, it's, uh, I, I think not many of us do it, 
And uh, I think what David and I are going to be exploring is a little bit more of how you tap into it and uh, the value of, uh, of uh, actually um, of, uh, working this model to your benefit. Thank you, Gary. <laughs> David, let us know if you have any more questions on the way or anyone else viewing, um, pop into the chat or the Q&A feature. Either way, I'll see those. We'll make sure you get those answered. Um, all right, I'm gonna keep us on time here. I'm gonna move on to the next topic. Um, so this was discussing DEI. Um, the lovely Rodrigo Ross really kicked this off with a ton of great information that has really stuck in my head since. So, um, so one of the things that we talked about, so it was diversity in business fosters innovations, improves the bottom line and helps with recruitment. So for each of you, I wanna see if we can go around and share how your organizations are ensuring fair representation in your staffing structure. Um, and then if you just had any additional takeaways you had from the discussion. Um, Mike, let's start with you. I felt like I was going to be chosen first. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to like, <laughs> you know, everybody gets a chance to go first. <laughs> all right, all right. Um, so our organization has gone through an amazing amount of change. Uh, I've been here the uh, two years, just a little over two years. Um, I would say that we are trying to do a better job. We are not there yet in leaning into DEI work. Um, part of that is by design that we don't want to do it wrong. Um, and in our community, I don't feel like we have multiple chances to represent this work. Um, and it needs to be embedded into our culture uh, and not just a program that one person does. Um, and so as an organization, um, I would say that we have some disparity in our leadership uh, as far as representation of women uh, and, um, well, in a lot of different areas, but we have had huge improvement uh, in that work in the last couple of years. It's really looking at our policies and setting ourselves up for that success because it's not necessarily intentional. Um, but it does happen. Um, I will say that we uh, continue to look um, at uh, the disparity in wages. Um, and when I came here two years ago, I asked for a report of all of our leaders. And I never thought this was true because I always hear it. But the men were making more than the women um, and in all areas and, and for no particular reason. Uh, and so I had to rectify that um, and work through that, that process. So I, I would just say to everybody, this was one of the most um, inspiring conversations, maybe one of the most uncomfortable for some people in the room, um, but one of the best conversations at this rec event that I have had around DEI work uh, in my entire career. Um, I think that it, it, I just met with Rodriga for lunch yesterday uh, and, and got to ask more questions and met a lot of friends through this process that have been very open and honest uh, with myself. Uh, and, and I will also say that, you know, as a why, we just hired and offered the job to uh, a, a young woman who is moving here from Ohio uh, to do this work with us. Um, and I'm looking forward to, 
to really seeing a culture change uh, here in Fort Worth. Yeah, thanks for sharing, Mike. Um, Sabrina, do you want to go next? Sure. I think, you know, this is a, it, this is a journey. This is part of a culture, um, whether you're changing the culture, enhancing the culture, um, or, and, and understanding what that is. And so we definitely, um, our organization has had some, I, I, I would say growth in, in our leadership and sort of the communities that we serve. And so 11 years ago, we started serving, um, the, coming out of what I would call the suburban world of of service and into uh, the largest city in the state of Connecticut, which uh, which also challenges sort of your board, what your board makeup looks like, what your leadership looks like. Um, so we're on it. We're on this path um, to be very intentional, um, but also to be organic so that this is sustainable. Um, I'm proud to say I'm the first female CEO of this organization, you know, and we're hitting our 110th year this year. So that's, you know, those are steps in the, in the right direction. And again, not because it was, the door was closed. There was a 40 year exec prior to me. So hard to get in there. Right. Um, but I think we're, it's, it's about being intentional. We are, we are very good on the, on the hands, um, on the frontline level and the programmatic level of representing with staff, the communities that we serve. Um, but it, it has to go further than that, right? And it has to, and, and so this ongoing work that we are doing internally, I think from being at the summit helped, you know, the same to Mike, helped in, in ideas and understanding um, and sort of challenges that are, that are having. And, I, and, you know, it's, we say this a lot, it's lonely at the top and it's not about being at the top, but it's lonely in positions like being a CEO in ways that you you need to have a network to be able to to run things by or to say you know hey tr in full transparency am i off my rocker you know like the, you know different things of like saying like am i wrong did i do this right or where where am i missing the mark and i think we created an environment in this community and at this summit where we were having some very um it was safe to have an uncomfortable conversation um, and where I think many may have been afraid to have those conversations or didn't know where to have them. And, and we were able to create that space. So it doesn't mean we have answers and everything all laid out, but it, it's, we've now created an environment where we can work with each other, ask questions and have resources that none of us had before, um, because it's hard to do that within your own organization. Yeah. Um, Gary, did you... Yeah. yeah, you know, what stands out in my mind, and for those of us who are attending the uh, summit in Carlsbad, uh, one of our moderators, facilitators, Rodriga, uh, she is a very, very, very talented young African-American. And she stood up uh, during one of the sessions and she looked around the room and she said, you know what? I'm the only African-American female here in this room. It it really it made everybody stand up and notice, and um, uh, we we we're talking about that. So I think it all comes down to having a, a thoughtful process. That it has to be, you know, it, it just has to be on our agendas and our in our discussion. A real quick story: uh, when I was a very young professional starting out in New Orleans, uh, JCC, uh, there there was a much older executive uh, in. Um, in Texas that I looked up to as a mentor. 
And I had this conversation with him and uh, I said, when you're hiring somebody, who, who do you, you know, who do you look for? What kind of person are you looking for? And I remember it like it was yesterday. He says, I like to have an older person who is set in their ways, mature, experienced. Um, and I said, what? What are you talking about? And here I was like 22 years old, right out of college. And I'm saying, no, 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 no. You want somebody who's young, who's hungry, who wants to make an impact. So, I mean, it, it was it was that type of conversation that that stuck with me all these years about what, you know, what kind of uh, diversity, what what kind of mix do we want to have on our staff, whether it's, you know, and we all know what it is, young, old, it's gender, it's race, it's religion, it's all the, all that sort of stuff. And if you look at the panel here today, I think we had a, we have a pretty good diverse panel as well. Um, so uh, it's, I think it's a, like I said before, I think it's a thoughtful process that we have to keep, uh, keep on everyone's minds and on everyone's agenda. Mm -hmm. Yeah, thanks, Gary. Um, Anthony, let's hear from you. Um, one of the things I really loved about our time in Carlsbad was um, no one could escape. We were, we were, we were in that room and no one could go anywhere. We had to have a conversation about it. And I applaud the bravery and courage of every single person, including everybody on this panel um, who actually used their voice and talked about it. They were very vulnerable. And I think the vulnerability is the number one um, trait and asset you need to even have a conversation about this. It's like the number one thing you need. Um, no one needs any bravado, any of those things. Because even the individuals who seem like they can talk about it have questions about it. <laughs> so, um, in this panel, where they were front and center on the dialogue of like, I got questions. And I think that's the best place to best place to start. Um, with that being said, I think Sabrina used the, the the right word. She said intentional. You just have to be intentional. And so. Um, you asked about what do we do where we are and what you bring back. And in our association, we talked very early on about you have to listen, you have to learn, and then you have to activate. Yeah, because that's the that's the journey to Sabrina's point. That's the journey. You, you just always are on the journey. It never ends. There's no, there's no like, I got, we got it. There's no magic bullet. Like you don't arrive in this space at all. Um, I learn every single day. Uh, about what pronoun, pronouns to use, when to use them, how to use them. Um, I learned all the time about what you said yesterday may not apply today. And it's important that we all just embrace that journey, number one. Number two, um, what, you're, what you're doing for the boards could also apply for your staff team. So, you know, if you have a board matrix there, you should probably have a board matrix for your staff team um, or a staff matrix. And it's not about counting heads as much as it is about equitable practices. Because I know personally, if, if I'm being chosen because you need that, that, that count or that census count, I don't know if I feel great about that. Um, just being vulnerable on this call. I don't know if I feel wonderful about it. Um, I do want an opportunity. I know people like me who want opportunities, but I don't know if I just want it because of that. So there's people who feel very opposite of that. And that's the, that's the conundrum that we might have. But I think if we have equitable practices one day, we don't even have to talk about the strategies. If the practices are embedded into Sabrina's point, they are intentional. Um, 
so to some of the strategies, the um, in my goals, uh, I think Mike may have mentioned uh, about compensation. And, uh, in my goals, I have that 100% of our staff team will be paid equitably or will have a plan to do so by the end of 2023. And I've made that transparent to all of my staff across uh, across the association. So that's the game plan that they, they, they're going to know what that looks like and what gender, we'll, we'll have all of that out there and we'll have a plan to make sure that they understand market against the why, against individuals inside of this organization because we're that committed to it because I want to eliminate those barriers. and I want to have a plan to get after it um, if there's some inequity to it. Uh, we have employee resource groups to make sure that those conversations can happen amongst all the dimensions of diversity. And if someone wants to invent one, we're going to, by golly, we're going to invent one because I think if it's important to you, it's important to me. And so we're having all of those conversations and dialogues. We have a staff person who's the vice president of equity and belonging, uh, and he's leading the charge uh, for us to bring those issues and circumstances to us so we can, we can deal with it. We have a diversity, equity, and inclusion committee uh, who is fiduciary to our board. And so they're included there. We have a brand and visibility committee that also deals with issues as a matter of DE&I as well. And so whatever it takes for us to make this not just relevant, but important to our operational DE&I practice um, are things that we find to be sort of a business mandate, not just a nice to do or a nice to have, but they're a business mandate because we think there are inherent advantages to making sure our community sees us as uh, diverse. Uh, as well, or that diversity is important to us, and we know that that comes um, with a lot of lot of lot of dialogue as well. So we don't see um, inclusion by exclusion. We don't want to exclude any anyone, but we want to include as many people as possible. Uh, and that that's going to take a lot of dialogue, a lot of conversation, a lot of listening, a lot of learning, and a lot of activation. Jack, you want to wanna wrap us up on this topic? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I would first start by echoing everything that the panel said. I think a big uh, takeaway from our conference was this specific topic. Um, and as they said, we were all locked in the room and as, as uncomfortable as others may have felt about it, I think that it was very rewarding to sit through this and hear from all different scopes and all different regions and all different areas that this is, a, this is a common issue that everybody has to address. Um, so I think one of the things um, that I, I brought up at the conference, and I bring this up anytime we talk about these things, is inclusion is not adaptive. Inclusion is ingrained into your policies. It's ingrained into your culture, and it's into what you do and who you are. And that starts with leaders and strong leaders who are going to commit to that and hold people accountable to that. Um, so those words that we used, equitable, um, intentional, those are things that are super important. And you as the leader have to be responsible and accountable to being equitable across your board, to being um, inclusive across your board. It, doing those things in an intentional fashion is going to help. And again, ingrain it into your culture when you talk about um, the pay disparity of things, you know there have practices on that set your ranges know what you're going to do set those hiring limits have review groups on things that you're going to do just make sure that you're setting those you're being um, inclusive in that intentional in that and then another phrase that was brought up 
is inspect what you expect. So if I, as the, the leader, want this, I need to put measures in place to inspect that, to make sure that my expectations are being met throughout the entire organization from top to bottom at all different levels. So I think this is a big topic. I don't think that the topic ends here. Um, I imagine that this, this is going to continue to be a topic at a lot of these recreation expos and community summits and things. And I would just encourage everybody on this call and everybody at this panel to keep championing this effort until we get it right. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you, Jack. Thanks, everybody. Um, I know that was a huge topic. <laughs> and then we moved right into another huge topic um, that I remember it being very heavy and very emotional, but we were talking about aiding in the youth mental health crisis. Um, and honestly, I feel like this was something that really stuck out to me just observing you all during this conversation and the emotion that was involved. But I think um, something that was interesting was how you all talked about the staff um, the staff who work with youth, um, in which I think if, if you're, you know, from outside, you're talking about the youth mental health crisis, you're specifically, you're thinking about the kids, but you're not thinking about the adults or other people who are helping support the kids. So I remember that just being like an, oh, like a, a wow moment of like, I didn't even think about that. So, and as leaders and you have staff and employees. So I think, you know, one of the questions that I wanted to ask about this topic was, how your organizations are supporting the staff who are working with youth and families um, who are in these crises. Um, so see, Sabrina, can we start with you this time? Sure, I think, you know, we, we serve youth, that's our primary, that is our book of business. Um, and I think um, I don't, I'm not shedding light or treading lightly on this, but our youth are in crisis when it comes to mental health, right? And, and, but also the rest of the world around us. Um, and so we are very focused on how we're giving support to our youth. Um, but we also come, many of our, our communities that we serve, um, our families and our staff come from trauma uh, filled spaces outside, right? So when we have our youth that are being impacted by mental health, um, it's also triggering our staff. So we've had to really take a, a, a step back to look at how are we supporting that. Um, and, and that's hard to do, right? That there's a, there's a bottom line dollar to do that. But our staff in any organization that serves youth or the community, our staff are our bread and butter. We can't do what we do without them. Um, and so we are really engaging forces, uh, community partners, and, and looking at funding from a bigger, bigger source, right? So Gary talked about access to government funding and things of that nature. This is when we have to start telling our story and in our story of impact on youth as not just a child care center, as not just an after school or an out of school time. We are impacting our youth in ways that are community impacting. Um, and so if we're able to talk in those ways, we're also able to get resources. So we've been able to do that for our organization um, and being able to give the tools to our staff because we, again, they all love working with youth, but they didn't go to school. Most of them didn't go to school for all of this, right? And so we're struggling, um, not because we don't love youth or love kids, um, we're struggling because all of us are struggling. And so how are we making sure that we can keep moving forward, but also giving them the resources? And, uh, you know, I spend many of my days having conversations about mental health 
and support from our school district, from our health department, from um, the state level, from private foundations, because that's important. And we're able to then enhance that. And we're working, and I think the other part of that is working with community partners, um, because we don't have to be the experts in this, and we're not the experts in some of this. And it's how are we utilizing our resources and others in the community? Yeah. Um, Mike, I want to bounce over to you to share your thoughts. Uh, I, you know, this was another conversation that uh, highlighted a whole lot for me. And I will be vulnerable and tell you that we don't do a great job. Uh, we, we talk about wanting to support mental health with our youth, but we have to practice it at our level as well. And I am not doing a great job uh, because I want to stand up and preach that we're going to take care of our staff. Um, but then I send emails at 2 a.m. or I work on my vacation. Uh, I don't have time for me and my family. Um, and I don't think that we can do this work if we're not going to practice what we preach. Um, I will tell you, I came back from the summit and I gave all full-time staff an extra week of mental health days um, that they can use anytime without giving us any information uh, that they could know that they had that. If you need a day off and you just need it, no questions asked, it's your time. Um, we, you know, certainly have EAP. We're certainly talking a good game, but it's hard to convince leaders that we have to practice that ourselves. Um, so I want to say that the resources are there. The money is there. The vacation time is there. We have, I mean, we have all the things that would allow you um, to really focus on yourself, encouraging self-care and work-life balance, but we're not practicing it as leaders. And I think that until that happens, um, I would say that this is a failure for, for me um, because I haven't modeled it myself. Yeah, thanks for sharing, Mike. Anthony, you wanna add on? Oh, you're gonna let Anthony follow up? <laughs> <laughs> I could easily say that, Mike, you, you nailed it on, on a number of fronts, and so did Sabrina. So I can just amen corner both of what you said. What I, what I would add is, um, yeah, we have all the things. I mean, you know, from a, from a staffing standpoint, back in 2021, when we did our strategic plan, um, we put, I don't even know if I knew, we knew what we were talking about. We put, here's how we're, we're going to, you know, get after mental health. I don't even think we understood the, you know, the, uh, uh, gravity of, of putting that language in our strategic plan um, in terms of what it means today. Uh, but we knew it was important and um, not really realizing that this, the, the team members that we have, sort of the airplane analogy of put the mask over your face first before you can help someone else um, or before you actually help someone else. And we did all those things, Mike. We did unlimited paid time off. We did telework. We did, you name it, we, we did it. Get paid every single day. We have a program where you can get paid every day. Like, take care of your needs. Um, it still doesn't stem the tide in terms of what's happening out here um, in cyber land for them on the internet. Uh, what's happening with gun violence. 
you name it, it's it's going on out there. And um, what I've determined is that we need to train the trainer. And so in addition to the online resources, we are um, researching and preparing to hire on consultants uh, to uh, train uh, our team leaders who work with young people, specifically that group. Uh, we know that all of us do to some level, but the ones who are really at the front line of this are youth development leaders, um, the frontline leaders in before and after school camp um, who are working with our teens. They are doing it every single day and they're waking up thinking about it, going to sleep thinking about it. We need professionals who have been hired specifically to only train them to help give us the you know knowledge, skills to just deal with it at the surface level because I don't think we can become certified overnight, but I do think they can give us some tools for our toolkit um, that might be able to help us, whether it's opening up before school or after school or during camp, we're going to need it. We're going to need that to survive what's happening out there, uh, at least to see some of those signs that might be able to um, lead us to getting additional assistance uh, as necessary. So, but to your point, I think you're right. Not at, probably not enough, uh, but going to have to going to have to help um, put a dent in it for now until we can figure out what the uh, more comprehensive approach and strategy is going to be. Uh, I have a team inside my house, and I can tell you that I'm still trying to figure it out. Um, when he's not, I think his phone does more talking to him than I do, and I talk to him a lot, so I get it. Yeah. All right, I'm gonna keep this on time because we, we, this is flown by. So um, I wanna move to our fourth topic real quick and let Jack and Gary cover that. So if you don't mind, Jack, um, I'm gonna direct this next question at you. We talked about fundraising and capital projects. So um, I remember a big key phrase was community engagement. So I wanted to see, um, so when we're talking about engaging all areas of an organization in fundraising, um, can you just share like a couple top tips yeah, uh, so one of the things that we talked in depth about is that people vote with their feet. Uh, so when you're looking at reinvesting or when you're looking at what programs you add on, uh, what's the next thing that your department, your, your organization is going to do that starts with understanding what that community needs and they vote with their feet. So they'll tell you what they want by where they're at, right? They'll tell you what they want by the programs that they're involved in. And just because you have a successful program doesn't mean it can't be more successful. It's successful because people are wanting that program. So reinvesting in that, doing your community surveys um, and throughout all levels of your community too. You don't just want uh, one area. So we had spoke um, there how in Dallas, there is a very, very structured this side versus that side and eliminating those barriers and coming together and how some of their more successful facilities are in areas that weren't the more affluent area now. Um, so understanding what that community need is, understanding what that community mix is, and then putting plans together, searching for those donors, explaining what the benefit is and what that long-term effect is going to be and the value, not only your, your donors get out of it, but the value it brings to your organization uh, through that community and how it changes those aspects, the opportunities it creates for people. Um, I know back to the youth mental health crisis, um, uh, Coleman Fung, who was the, um, 
the person leading that discussion talked about two thirds of kids have these mental health crises. is getting them into facilities is important to have those interactions. So people, again, vote with their feet. They're going to tell you what you want. Listen, see what they're doing. Put a plan in place together. Find your donors. Do your grant funding. Get your fundraising options going. And let that community input direct on what you're going to need. Yeah. Thanks, Jack. Uh, Gary, do you have a couple tips to add? Just real quick. Um, you know, we all work in the nonprofit sector. Uh, we all very, very mission driven. We all understand what drives us, why we're in business. You know, we're in business to help people. We're in business to change people's lives for the better. We're in business to strengthen our communities. And that's all very, very well and good. But the bottom line, how does that relate to, um, you know, keeping your doors open and keeping your lights on? And it's finding those fundraising programs, those revenue producing programs, and to find that balance between the, the mission, the bottom line, and also the the revenue that needs to uh, to you know keep the uh, operation moving. So, so you know we we talk about fundraising, we talk about revenue producing programs, and again, you know it, it's not just it's not just the membership director who's you know bringing in members. It's not just the development director who's doing all the fundraising. I think it has to be a collective. Uh, um, it, it 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 has to be all of our responsibilities. We have to wear many many hats, and uh, I think it's everyone's responsibilities to 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 look and work in these areas for the agency to be successful. Yeah, thank you. All right, we have our last five minutes here, so I want to see if we can go to just each person. Our last topic was just on the future of community rec. So, um, just during this call, if each of you could share just like a futuristic takeaway that you maybe had or something that you're just thinking about um, as you look to the future that you took away from the summit. Um, Anthony, I'm going to start with you. Well, I, I'll start with how we I'll end with how we started, which is the benefit, um, which is bringing these different um, industries, I guess, for lack of a better word, together, you, you know, bringing those industries together. We have more um, similar and alike than we do different. And uh, having those best practice opportunities is, is really important, but then also being able to talk about um, ways that we can synergize may also be the future. You know, I think we may be able to leverage uh, some collective goodwill, some resources to the conversation around philanthropy. I think if some of our uh, government agencies see, hey, they instead of applying for different uh, grants, they decided to apply together, uh, that may have some value for us in the future. Yeah, Sabrina? I mean, I would definitely echo what Anthony said. I think it's about, um, we don't always have to reinvent the wheel, um, even though we're looking to the future, it's looking at what's working. And then also, I, I think understanding that, you know, I'll use this as an example, we someone just threw out, you know, why do we have membership, right? Or do we need membership? Do you need program sessions, right? Do you need those things and what does that look like? And so ask, being willing to ask those questions to look in the, in the future, what's driving sort of why we do things that we do. That doesn't change your mission, um, but really taking a look at why are we doing this? Is this, a good, is this a good practice? 
um, and thinking ahead. So I think the the hardest thing for us as as program uh, driven organizations and opportunities is we get stuck sort of in our silos, right? Like that's some of the reasons why this this type of work and this type of um, summit was so exciting because you got a chance to get out of your silos and get out of sort of your frame of reference. But are you looking at things differently and being proactive instead of reactive um, in a way? And so, you know, we, uh, the, one of the um, slides, it was sort of looking at the Jetsons, right. As part of the, this um, sort of, when we were looking at, you know, there were conversations about AI, there were conversations about some of these things that we don't really have that we can comprehend. But I mean, I think back to that slide of we were talking about the Jetsons and we all, many of us grew up watching the Jetsons. I might be dating myself at this moment, but um, you know, looking at some of the things that were in that cartoon were 100% things that we're like doing right now. And like, who would have thought of that? And so I think understanding that no idea is a wrong idea, is a bad idea, is understanding how to take some calculated risks or push yourself out of that um, realm. I think that's how we're going to continue to be relevant and in the future um, moving, moving ahead. Many of our organizations have been around over 100 years, right? So we've figured it out before. Um, we're part of that, of the sort of the next generation of sort of elevating what we do. And I think we have to be comfortable with, um, I, I don't like the term thinking outside the box, like why is there a box, right? <laughs> like, do we really need a box? And so how are we figuring that out? Hmm. Yeah, Jack? Yeah, so um, <clears throat> I think, again, I'll go back to one of my opening statements is when you get a, a group together with a shared mission, good things happen. Um, I think for the future of community rec and, all the things that we've discussed today, uh, one of the takeaways I took from it, and I think Sabrina uh, was there too, there was lots of YMCAs, lots of JCCs, um, but I was the only um, municipal recreation represented, and we didn't have a whole lot of Boys and Girls Club. So what I'll be doing is trying to get more involvement from those other stakeholders in the municipal sector to help bring that collaborative um, experience to the programs that we do moving forward. And again, resources within our network can be shared wide through everybody. The more people we get at the table, the larger everybody's resource base gets. So I think that's something that I would be focusing on in the future for Community Rec. Thanks, Jack. Gary? Sure. You know, we, we, we none of us have any uh, crystal ball uh, per se, but, you know, our, our funders are really demanding, and I love when Anthony said this, they're really demanding the collaborations and partnerships, uh, agencies working together. Um, you know, technology and AI, that might be the future, but I got to tell you a real quick story. We have a pickleball program here in our agency, and we have hundreds and hundreds of older, mature adults who play. And one of the complaints uh, from an outsider was, Oh, there's so many people, they have to wait. They, there's a, a long waiting to get on the court and play. But you know, when we pulled when we pulled the members, they didn't care. They were there for the socialization. And you know, here we're thinking about technology and AI and better ways and better programs and better, better, better this. A lot of times it's 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 just about them being here, socializing, recreating. And um, so I don't know, just kind of want to bring that back to so we don't lose the we don't lose sight of that. And talking as an old timer, um, 
<laughs> that's what that's where I'm from, and that's that's a big part of my practice. Thanks, Gary. All right, Mike, do you want to wrap us up here? Yeah, so I uh, I'm going to wrap us up by giving you a couple quotes. <laughs> All right. In times of rapid change, experience could be your worst enemy. The future belongs to those who believe in the beauty of their dreams. And the last one, you cannot create the future by clinging to the past. Perfect. <laughs> awesome. All right. I know I said I would keep us to an hour. We are like one minute over. But thank you all so much. I know your time is very important and I so appreciate it um, and just being able to pick your brains and then I got to see all of you all in person this year so for anybody listening and for all of you here um, I'm sharing information about our event next year so um, we will be gathering in San Antonio Texas at the end of February I'll send out information but if you would like more information just email me Brittany at peakmedia.com but I'll make sure everybody knows about it so thank you all again um, Thank you all on the panel. Um, oh, Josh, it's good to see you, Josh, David. All right. Have a great day, everyone, and we'll see you next time. Thanks, everybody.